Welcome to episode 78 of the Daniel Yours podcast, Q&A number three. Let's go. Welcome back to another episode. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you always. I hope that your summer is off to a great start, although here in Toronto GTA, it's been a weird start to the summer. It doesn't feel like it really got all that hot. And like, yes, it does get warm here for people who are not from Canada. It's not ice and polar bears all year round. <laughs> um, but yeah, I hope your summer's going off, going on, got off to a great start. Wow. Let's hope I can string some words together better than that for the rest of this podcast. Today is Friday, July 8th. And the reason that that is relevant is that today in Ontario, and I believe the rest of Canada, uh, most of the internet and cell service, phone service is down. The company Rogers, which basically half of us use because it's either Rogers or Bell, uh, for whatever reason, I don't know. Uh, I don't have internet or cell service right now. Uh, they're down today. And so it's been an interesting day. And um, so I'm recording this episode today. And the reason why that's relevant is because I went outside. So So no cell service. It's been a weird, you know, impossible to communicate cancellations and time changes. It's just been like, oh, just show up places and hope for the best. Um, so it's been a weird scheduling day that way, as well as I was uh, trying to organize to record a podcast with someone this afternoon, and then I haven't been able to communicate with them. And and that's okay, because it'll happen. And it was And it was very touch and go anyways, because there's also a lot of, there's a big outdoor renovation happening at my house. And so there's tons of noise. And so it's been difficult to schedule with guests and it will be for the next couple of weeks just because of the noise. And I don't want to have like beeping and machines and stuff in the background. But I had a, a small window today where it was going to be able to happen. So I tried to make that happen, didn't, but that's okay. It worked out well to do the, the this Q&A episode at this time anyways. And the other reason why that that may be relevant to this whole thing is <laughs> I, because there's no internet, you know, no one's really able to work. And it's an interesting thing how much the internet affects us and how many things are connected to it. This morning I was, uh, instead of, you know, scrolling through Instagram or sending texts or like doing the other thing, I, there was an email that I had to send and I was on my phone. I was like, Oh, I can't do this for my phone. And just without even thinking half asleep, I just pulled out my laptop. I was like, Oh, I'll just send it from my laptop. Turned on my laptop, opened up my internet, my email. And I was like, Oh, it's not, not loading. Like, oh yeah. The internet is, the internet is out. It's not just my phone. So, you know, we're so ingrained with it, but you know, it's a reminder that, Hey, the world still goes on. Life still goes on. The life, the world is awesome outside of the internet and screens and social media and all of that. And with that being said, after lunch today, I just said to my, my brothers, I was like, Hey, let's, uh, let's, let's go for a walk in the forest. You're like, what do you guys, you're not doing anything. You don't have internet. You don't have anything urgent right now. Like, let's go, let's go play outside. And so we did. There's a forest very close to our house, and uh, there's a there's a river, and I, I've spent a lot of time in that forest, just walking around and messing around, like since a kid, and you know, over time, and go in there and do some meditations and things like that, and just you know, to be in nature and away from the noise, rather than just being outside, like in the neighborhood, you're outside in the forest. Anyways, there's this one spot where where the river is, and there's a tree that had fallen like long, long time ago, and I always kind of wanted to just cross on top of this tree and walk over it and, and go to the other side just for sake of it. But I never really did it just because it's not like super stable and, and it's not that big. So I was like, if I fall in, like that's like kind of a problem. It's not that deep. It's not that dangerous. I think I would all be fine, but I wouldn't want to like ruin my phone and all that stuff. Um, and so I never did. And I was like, Oh, let's go, let's go play the forest. I want to, I want to cross that. I want to cross the river today. Like, let's, let's just do it. And it just help me, you know, then now we don't have phones and stuff. It's not working. Let's do it. Anyways, we went there. And, um, 
there was so much damage from this crazy windstorm that we had here in, in Vaughan, Toronto, like a few weeks ago, like so much of the forest is so many trees, huge, huge trees had fallen down and been destroyed. And so we got to that little part where the river is and like, there's so much stuff across the river now that it, it wouldn't even be a challenge to cross it. So it just didn't, we just, you know, walked around through the forest and messed around for a while. And, um, the reason that I gave that long winded story is because allergies have also been killer this summer. And I didn't take the allergy medication before I went in there. And so I've just sneezed like seven times before I hit record on this. So I'm uh, crossing my fingers that I'm not going to have a a sneeze attack (laughs) while I'm recording here. But anyways, the last thing that I wanted to mention that's relevant from that. Uh, All the questions that were submitted, thank you. I had them in my Instagram or in my email or in wherever. And so I just kind of pulled them from memory because I wasn't able to access them. So they're not word for word, but I kind of, I remembered what, what some of the questions were and just have them written down here to, to go through for today's episode. So thank you for that. And if you have any other questions for future episodes, submit them to me at any time through my email address on my website, danielyours.com or just on Instagram. And I'll just like kind of keep a a store of them. And whenever the next Q and a episode is probably sometime in the fall, I'll, uh, I'll get to them then. Okay. With that being said, let's get into it. The first question was kind of a follow-up from two episodes ago, the episode with Dean Guido, where we talked a lot about walking. And the question was with, it wasn't really a question, but it was just, can you expand on the concept of walking and weight maintenance? So something that Dean and I touched on is is that weight maintenance is a very good thing. Weight maintenance just means that your weight is not changing. It's not going up or going down. Most people gain weight very slowly over time. Dean also referenced in that episode that a lot of people don't even gain that much weight every year, but it's like three to five pounds through the holiday season and then they just never lose it. And so, you know, over the year or over each year, You gain about five pounds, but it's not that steady throughout the year. So if we can just maintain our weight, that's very good. And not to play the comparison game, but if you are not gaining weight, you're way ahead of most people, and that's a good thing. So maintaining your weight is a good thing. Now, how does walking help this? Well, walking is activity, obviously. If we walk a lot, and by a lot, I mean whatever you think is a lot, more than that. 10,000 steps is good, but let's 20,000 steps. Like, let's go even more. Walk a lot. Walking burns calories. Weight maintenance, weight loss, weight gain all comes down to calories in, calories out. It's just an energy equation. That's the very simple way of saying it. The conditions to create those things, as I've said multiple times, are very difficult and more complicated and more, you know, psychosocial phenomenon, or not phenomenon, but psychosocial issues or things. And but but either way, it comes down to the calories in versus calories out. So if you're eating X amount of food, that's putting you into a surplus in such a way that you would be gaining weight. If you can walk enough to offset that surplus, then you would be at maintenance and you wouldn't be gaining weight. Your weight would maintain. Now, what we were talking about in that episode is that most people don't gain that much weight throughout the whole year. If you were gaining five pounds every month, you would notice. It would be very obvious, and that's a pretty quick rate of weight gain. However, most people, that doesn't happen to. It happens in short bursts, like the holiday times, and then it just never comes off, which suggests the following, that you're not eating that much in a surplus. If you're in a very, very small surplus, say like 200 calories of a surplus, 
you wouldn't gain that much weight. You'd probably gain maybe probably less than a pound a month, honestly, which is a, which is an amount that you wouldn't really notice. Now we always say, can you outwork a bad diet? No, you can't. You can't just outwork a bad diet. You can't just eat like crap and eat as much as you want and eat unhealthy food and exercise it away, which is mostly true. But if you're not overeating by that much, if you're in, if you're eating in a surplus of 200 calories, you can easily walk for 200 calories worth of energy expenditure to offset that to maintain your weight. Now, I don't know exactly how much walking 200 calories would be. There, there's some equation to figure it out. I don't know it off the top of my head. I'd have to go back in my in my notes from school and, and look it up, but it doesn't matter. Say it's like an hour of walking. Say it's two hours of walking. Do that. And that will be enough to maintain your weight. So the, the key things to remember here is that weight maintenance just means that you're maintaining your weight, obviously. <laughs> um, but it means that your weight is not changing and that is a good thing. If you're not gaining weight, that is a good thing. And then you can start to worry about losing weight if that's something that you care about. But most people have a problem with how do I stop gaining weight? So if we can break that down simpler, make the first step, stop gaining weight, and then we can tackle actually reducing the weight and walking is going to help that. It's the easiest, most accessible thing that you can do to increase your energy expenditure rather than cutting out food continually. Yes, you can do that, but that's harder. There are way more factors involved. There's way more discipline involved. Going for an extra walk for an extra hour a day, extra 30 minutes a day, sneak it in, you know, three, 10 minute walks, whatever it is, you can do that more likely than you can limit your food indefinitely to be able to maintain your weight. So, I hope that that answers it. It's not, there's not like a very complicated methodology or something that's happening here. It's just like walk more, offset the amount of food that you're eating. Eat more, walk more. If your food is continually going up, you're still feel like you're gaining weight, walk more, offset that more. That's all, that's all this comes down to. So walking is a great tool to use, very accessible, very easy, very light on the body. Doesn't, you know, you can do it when you're injured or whatever. So walk more is the, <laughs> is the message there. Second question was in regards to someone who, well, and, I, and I may be missing a little bit of context here because I wasn't able to get the message exactly, but it was the gist of it was someone who wants to continue to work out from home and they have light weights, yet they want to build muscle. Is it possible and how to do it? The short answer is yes, of course it's possible, but it's much more difficult. We can also extrapolate this answer to, or this question to, I want to build muscle and I want to get super strong, but I have limited gym equipment. Sometimes you see on social media, especially if you follow like more bodybuilding type of stuff or, and everyone thinks they're a bodybuilder. Now you go to the gym three times and I'm a bodybuilder, but you're 127 pounds soaking wet as a male. Like you're not a bodybuilder, but whatever separate rant for another day. Um, Gyms with, and so, so what I was getting at with that is that these people talk about like, use this machine, use that machine. Like most gyms don't have all these fancy machines to use. And those are great in like bodybuilding gyms. If you're like a legit bodybuilder, most gyms don't have that. So how do we build muscle without that equipment or build muscle with even less equipment? If your dumbbells only go up to 20 pounds, you're, you're not going to be able to chest press a hundred pound dumbbells, obviously. So how do we do it? Now the answer is yes, because building muscle isn't about lifting the most weight. These are two different things like powerlifting or trying to improve the amount that you can squat or deadlift or bench press or whatever is about trying to lift the most weight. Building muscle is about building muscle. 
Now, there's many ways to do this. You can, you're going to have to do way more reps because, of course, 20 pounds is very quickly going to be a very light amount of weight. And if you're doing 20, if you're doing eight reps of a lot of exercises with only 20 pounds, you know, that's going to be one tenth of the maximum exertion that you can, that you can exert, which is not good to, to build muscle. You've got to get close to failure. Now with only up to 20 pounds or something like that, or limited equipment, that might mean you might have to do sets of like 30 reps and that kind of sucks, which is why this wouldn't be the optimal way to do it. It wouldn't be the best way to do it, but you know, such is the situation. So we work with what we got. The ways that you would have to do it is massively increase the reps, decrease the rest times, slow down all of your exercises, try to use bands, try to do the hardest variation of exercises that you can to make it so that you can get those muscles that you're working on to hit close to failure. You're not going to be able to use machines and stuff like that. And again, it's okay. It's just more difficult. So again, not not ideal situation for this, but and there's not really a secret or a special way to say like, oh, you should do this. The only thing that you've got to do is really try your best to reach failure. And that's going to require doing a lot more reps and using like short rest periods again. There's not really much more to it and i would say that if you are someone who's more of a beginner then you're more likely to be able to gain weight with limited equipment and very or gain muscle with limited equipment and very limited amount of weight but if you are someone who's like more intermediate advanced lifter it it would be nearly impossible to build any significant amount of muscle with very little weight just at home so if you're getting back into it or you're brand new to exercise, then yeah, you, you probably can build some muscle. But if you're if not, you, you really gotta you really gotta make that choice to go to a gym that has more equipment or fully equipped so you can get the best workout to really be serious about building muscle. And and the other side of that is maybe building muscle is just not for you. If going to a, a gym that has more equipment, maybe right now is not the time to be building muscle. You can still work on plenty of other things in your fitness, your cardio, your 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 endurance. Uh, your muscular endurance rather by doing all those those high reps and and things like that um, you can work on your mobility there's a whole bunch of other things that you can do so maybe that is the better option here instead of trying to build muscle in the least ideal circumstances so you know we just got to make we just got to make that choice make that sacrifice if it works it works if not then that's okay you're not trying to be a bodybuilder if you're asking that question so building muscle is probably not the most important thing to you um, and you just got to prioritize and value where where it lies on that. So just to sum that up, you got to get close to failure, make things the hardest variation of the exercises that you can, go high reps, go make the reps slow, and try and push it to failure every time. And uh, and and maybe that'll and maybe that'll help you. <laughs> Number three, this was a little bit more of a personal one, and someone was asking how I have avoided gaining all the weight back after that big cut that I did. So if you recall. Most of last year, I spent stuffing my face and getting nice and fat, and uh, and that was interesting. And then the beginning of this year, I did quite an aggressive cut, and, and there's several podcast episodes about this. If you scroll back, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head here, but scroll back and you'll find them. Now, a lot of people say you know, there's a common myth or thing that's gone around that, oh, if you do an extreme diet, if you lose weight really fast, you're just going to gain it all back. And that happens when 
you go on a diet, you do something very strict, you lose a bunch of weight really quickly, and then instead of continuing your diet or continuing some sort of healthy eating pattern, you just go back to what you were doing before. And if you go back to what you were doing before, well, then of course you're going to gain the weight because that's how you were eating when you had all that weight on. So the answer to this question is I've avoided gaining all the weight back because I didn't just revert back to what I was doing last year when I was trying to gain weight. The diet after the diet is something that I've talked about many times before. And that's kind of what I'm on right now. And it's not like something super strict. It's just like my normal, but my new normal where I hate that word because it's pandemic related, but my new normal is now that my body is smaller, I'm lighter. I don't need as much food as when I was 30 pounds heavier to maintain that, obviously. So the amount of food that I'm eating now is in accordance with the size and body composition, muscle to body fat percentage that I'm at now. And so that's all that's all there is to it. There's no there's no magic, there's no secret here. There's nothing about losing weight quickly that suggests that you will gain fat back quickly if you do the right things. Your body will be primed to like add back bad back fat because it's so starved of resources. It will be wanting to gain or or hold on to as much fat and as much resources if you start eating like a maniac after your diet, after your cut. But if you don't do that, then there's no reason that your body is just going to start storing fat. That doesn't exist. The body can't just produce fat from nowhere. If you're eating the amount of calories, again, this maintenance weight concept, if you're eating that amount of calories and your exercise level or activity level through the day evens out at your new lower weight and improved body composition, then there's no reason that you would gain weight. So that's how I did it. I didn't do anything secret. This is not like a surprise to me. I didn't discover something new. Again, you know, I am I am good at these things as it's my job. So this wasn't something maintaining my weight since the cut has not been something that has been like difficult for me. And I and I say that, you know, I'm I'm sensitive to the fact that it's I, I'm that it's not easy for you or easy for everyone else. Excuse me. I think I'm gonna sneeze here. Give me a second. Okay, didn't come. Well, hopefully that one doesn't come back. Um, so, so I'm sensitive to the fact that it, that's not super easy for everyone else, and that I'm you know a little bit better at this. But obviously, this is my job, so of course, of course, I am. We've had this discussion before. But yeah, it's not a surprise. You just do the things that work. You, if you eat at the maintenance level, there's no reason that your body will gain fat. It can't produce fat out of nowhere. So the the way that I did that to sum up this answer. All I did was eat at my new maintenance level, which I discovered by a little bit of guess and check slash knowing my body from before, and um, and that's it. If you do things right, there's no reason that you automatically gain fat back after after you do a big cut. This next question was a little bit more lifting related, which is nice, um, and the question was about when to use lifting straps or a lifting belt. Now, you see people probably on social media or in the gym, you'll see people who use wrist wraps or grip assist. There's several different brands and styles of them now. Um, the Versa grips are the old school, just like the straps that you kind of wrap around your wrists and wrap it around the bar or wrap it around a dumbbell. Or you see people using the belt where they, you know, they clip it on and it really kind of, it's almost basically it acts like a corset where it kind of squeezes in their stomach or their ribs or their abdomen. And, you know, they'll use that before they squat or deadlift sometimes, or some people use it for a bench press or like I mean, some people use it for quite ridiculous things, but <laughs> typically like those big movements. Now, when to use those? I'm not really a fan of using 
any of those things unless you're competing in powerlifting or or working towards competing. And the reason is it just doesn't matter. Now, the exception here is is the straps. I don't I think the lifting belt is a much more advanced thing because you've got to also learn how to use the lifting belt. It doesn't do anything on its own. What the lifting belt does is help you to create more intra-abdominal pressure. And what that means is like when you try to lift up something heavy, you do like a and you try and it's like you're trying to push air out, but you're not letting it exhale, the Valsalva maneuver, it makes that more effective because you're pushing out against the belt, but you've got to push out against the belt. It's not just about holding your breath and sucking your stomach in. So there's a little bit of skill involved in using that. And it just doesn't matter if you're not trying to maximally lift as much weight as possible for you. So my thing with the belt is like, I kind of just want to see how strong I am. I'm personally not interested in how much I can lift with a belt. I will certainly be able to lift more, but I just don't really care because I'm not competing. And if you are competing, then you know definitely you want to use that if it's within the rules of whatever organization that you're competing in and all that stuff. Definitely do it. But as far as like 99% of people who are just working out, you just don't, there's no need to use a lifting belt. It's not saving your back. It's not like doing all those things. And if you're using it for that purpose, then just lift lighter and learn how to brace your core and save your spine and like and all that stuff. Now, the straps, on the other hand, this is where I I have a little bit more leniency on. So the straps make it easier to hold on to weight in your hands. The limiting factor of a lot of exercises is how much weight we can carry in our hands. Unfortunately, human anatomy dictates that when we do a deadlift or any type of like uh, rowing motion for our back or anything like that, we need to hold on to weight in our hands. Now, obviously, your back or your glutes and your hamstrings or your posterior chain in general is stronger than your hands and your forearms. That's just, you know, look at the amount of muscle that's on your back and your and your butt, compare it to your forearm, obviously the forearm loses there. So the limiting factor becomes how much you can hold on. The straps help us hold on to more weight. It, it helps us, it wraps around the thing, the, the, the dumbbell or the barbell, so it doesn't slip out of your hand and so you can you continue to do your exercise, which is good. Now, if you're trying to build more muscle, sometimes for these movements, you might end up failing with your grip before you even remotely reach failure with the muscle groups that you're targeting. And so you'll actually be hindering your ability to put muscle on your back and on your glutes and hamstrings if you can't hold on to the weight. So here, I do think that lifting straps are useful. Now, this is also, in my experience, it's more pronounced of of an issue for women. And that's just because upper body strength due to anatomy this is not my opinion or my you know my fault it's just less and so we we reach this grip failure faster but a lot of women can deadlift like a, a heck of a lot of weight and backs are still strong but just the hands and the grip strength are not are not up to par and so you see women like deadlifting or rowing sub max like way sub maximal weights just because they can't hold on to it or doing rdls or stuff like that so in that sense Yes, strap up. The way that I would actually go about it is I only like to use them. I personally don't use them myself, but for clients or or to advise you, use them only when you need them because you still want your grip strength to improve. So use, like, don't use them as much as possible. And then on your final sets, on your top working sets, then strap in and, and then like get after it with that and don't let your grip get in the way of it. But you still need to do some grip work. So definitely do your farmer's carries and like at the end of your deadlift, 
you know, that last rep, hold on to the bar or your RDLs or your rows, like hold on to the weight and squeeze things tight to keep working on your grip because you don't want it to lag behind more than it should. The thing that I don't like about the lifting straps is when people start to use them for every set, every rep all the time and your and your back and your glutes is getting stronger, which is great, but your grip is just getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And we still want like strong grip strength just for life and everything else in the gym. So don't use this lifting straps as a crutch, use them as needed. And the other asterisk that I'll put on on all of that that I just mentioned about using about lifting all the time is or using the lifting straps all the time is that for women who like to get their nails done and their nails are a little bit longer, when the nails are a little bit longer, it's hard to close your hand around the dumbbell, the barbell, or the machine, or whatever it is. And the strap or, or the lifting straps change your grip in such a way where your fingers kind of point outwards and don't wrap in back into your into your hand. And so your nails don't get in the way. So if you like to do that, and if you have longer nails, and you don't want to ruin them in the gym because why would you want to do that and this is not like i'm not making fun of this at all this is it sounds kind of silly but like it's a totally real thing and it's a thing that prevents people from lifting heavier so use the straps if if that's the case if your nails are getting in the way of your hand being able to close your hand then use the straps so that your nails get out of the way and then you can hold on to proper amounts of weight and and lift them because i see girls all the time who lift tiny amounts of weight and it's just like i just can't close my hand because my nails get in the way so i can hold on to these little baby weights because my nails are out of the way and I don't need to grip that hard on it. So if that's the case, use the straps. Um, and, and for anyone not with the nail situation, use them as needed. And the belt, I would say, just save it for if you're competing or working towards competing and learning how to use the belt. Okay, last, um, let's, in 25 minutes, let's do two more. We'll do two more quick ones. Um, why do people do heel elevated squats? So you see people, I talk about this, I've talked about this, not all the time, but I've talked about this in the past. Um, anyone who's trained with me has probably not anyone, but like those who needed it have done heel elevated squats. Um, and that's just putting those little plates or if your gym has like an actual squat wedge or heel wedge or, or platform of some kind where you pop your heels up so that your heels are higher than your toes, almost like wearing high heels kind of thing to be able to do squats and squat type movements. So why do people do this? Two reasons. It effectively makes your femurs shorter or relatively shorter. People with very long femurs have a hard time squatting and staying upright and getting a lot of knee bend because their femur, which is like the top part of your leg bone, is so long that it almost like gets in the way. Now, if you pop the heels up, it makes that femur relatively shorter because it effectively like lengthens the your tibia, the distance from your knee to the ground. And that helps with the mechanics of getting down in a more upright position so that the bar stays up on top of up on top of the middle of your feet, or the dumbbell stays on top of the middle of you or whatever, and you're able to push your knees forward. The other thing that it helps with is ankle mobility. A lot of us struggle with having poor ankle mobility due to mainly the shoes that we wear if you wear shoes with like big huge soles and like big cushiony soles and big angled soles or a lot of high heels like you are destroying your feet and your hips and your back and your ankles and i implore you to please wear flatter wider shoes but we'll talk about that another time we have bad ankle mobility generally so what the heel elevation does is it starts our ankle off 
at a, a bigger angle so that there is bigger so that there's less of a mobility demand when we get to the bottom. If you think of a the bottom of a squat like a fully ass to grass squat and not that everyone needs to squat that way, but your ankle, your shin is pushed far over your ankle making quite a a, a deep angle. I've probably mixed up the word ankle and angle many times in this past like 2 minutes, but you know, bear with me. You know what I, you know what I mean? So, if you can elevate your heel then you're giving that ankle a little bit more space to work so that you can overcome the shortcomings of your ankle mobility so that you can squat. Now, it's not a crutch. You shouldn't use that for forever. You should also be actively working on your ankle mobility and all that stuff to be able to not do that. Um, but that's but that's what it does up front as we're learning the squat pattern and getting the body used to getting a little bit deeper and staying a little bit more upright until we can graduate to taking it away kind of like training wheels type of thing. The other reason why someone would do heel elevated squats, aside from those two things that I just mentioned, someone who has, let's say, not super long femurs, so it's easier for them to squat upright. Someone like me, I've got shorter legs and I'm shorter in general, but my legs are more proportioned to my torso where my legs are not super long. Um, and, you know, if you have good ankle mobility, put, putting your heels up on the platform will still help you push your knees farther down or farther forward rather over your toes, which is going to make the squat more quad dominant. So in certain phases of training for certain goals, you may want that to be more quad dominant and doing this would help that. So sometimes you'll see people getting into really deep squats when they don't normally squat that deep. That's probably the reason why they're elevating their heels is to make the squat more quad dominant. That doesn't mean that the glutes are doing nothing. It just means that the quads are doing relatively more in that type of squat than a squat where the feet will be flat and more of like a your traditional normal type of squat that we've all seen. So that's what's up with the heel elevation. I think it's a great tool. I use it with most people because most people need it, especially at the beginning, especially uh, beginners to exercise or beginners to lifting. Um, so I think it's a great tool, but yeah, it's just a tool, um, not magic and not something that should be utilized all the time and for forever. It has its place just like every other tool that we have in the gym. The last thing that we'll get into today, I'll try and cover this one quickly, was a question about how often should someone train abs. And there was also like a caveat to this one where the person was saying they feel like their lower belly hangs down, but it's not flabby if that makes sense. And it does make sense. And let me try and paint this picture to you. So the person asking this question is not someone who carries a lot of body fat, yet some people still feel like the lower body, kind, their lower belly kind of like it hangs and it almost curves inwards. And so if you can picture that in your mind, it makes the stomach appear not flat. And this is not, in, in this case, typically the answer to this would be like, well, your lower belly hangs because you're carrying too much body fat and you've got to reduce your body fat in order for your lower belly to not hang. But in, the, in this case, that's not what we're talking about. That's certainly like a thing and that's probably applicable to most people, but not the thing that I'm, I'm talking about right here. So when the lower belly appears to not be flat, even though you are lean, the reason for that is is possibly many things. But the most common thing, and you see this actually with some some of the bodybuilders, where some of the female bodybuilders, where I'm not sure what the class is, but maybe it's the bikini class, but it that doesn't really matter. It's it's when there's almost an imbalance between the glutes and the abs. So that can actually be a core 
weakness where your glutes are so strong if you focus too much on your glutes not enough on your quads not enough on your core where the glutes are pulling your pelvis and rounding it backwards so that your butt is like hiked up if you can imagine if we can like exaggerate this just to paint the picture if your butt is hiked up and your ribs are flared out and then your belly your abs are like elongated and extended your abs essentially make a line from the bottom of your rib cage to the top of your hips now, if your hips tilt backwards, if their hips were a bowl and it was, and the water in the bowl was spilling out forwards in front of you, that's the kind of posture that I'm talking about. So this elongation of the abdominal muscles and the shortening and the tightening of the glutes in the back will, will roll your hips forwards. Now, that's going to make it feel like your lower belly hangs even if you're lean. So the answer to that would be you've got to loosen up your hamstrings for sure, loosen up your glutes, and you and you have to start training your core for strength. Now, the beginning of this was how often you should train your abs. Massively dependent on who you are and what your goals are and how much you're training and all that stuff. Right now, for myself, I train my abs in every workout, but I do like one ab-specific exercise and sometimes zero. Some, some people love to do abs every single time that they work out and they do like a lot of ab exercises. I think it's a complete waste of time for the majority of people. And the reason is this, if we can just use very simple logic, you don't squat every single day. You don't do leg extensions. You don't do chest press and whatever every single day you work out. So why would you just use your core every single time you work out? The other thing is this, most people train their core like absolute garbage we just do like a bunch of exercises for a minute or like 50 reps or do 50 sit-ups or do like a hundred of this. And it's like, you don't do a hundred squats. You don't do a hundred chest presses. You don't do a hundred pull-ups. Why are you doing a hundred sit-ups? It doesn't make any sense. Train it like the regular, like the rest of your muscles. Try to actually fatigue your abs in as few reps as possible. You have to really learn how to use your abs and like really brace and use the muscles rather than just flopping your body around. So you'll see people doing hanging leg raises and these like kind of cool looking ab exercises, but really what they're doing is just firing their hip flexors or kicking their toes out or flinging their head around or flinging their body in all these directions. And sure, the abs move and you might feel a little bit of a burn there, but the muscles aren't actually working. So we've got to do things that teach us how to use our abs so that you can brace down, buckle down and really use those muscles and then train it like anything else. Train it with intensity and train it with like a, a normal, like, you know, shorter rep range and try and fatigue it. Try and actually like feel like you can kind of cramp those muscles. That's how you know that you're using your abs. Some good exercises to start to teach this. And and it's hard, like I'll just rattle the, the names off, but it's, it's impossible for me to like teach you this through this podcast medium. But McGill curl-ups, stability ball crunches, and standing banded ab crunches are three exercises that I use with almost every single client online and in person to teach them how to use their abs. The, the, the issue with me just rattling off those names to you is that if you don't do those exercises that I just named, if you don't do them right, it just feels like nothing. So you've got to really focus and really make sure that you're like getting your belly button down into your spine, compressing your abs, but not just sucking your belly in. You're using the abs and then using that line, like we said, the abs make a line from the bottom of your ribs to the top of your hips. So imagine there's a rope there. And if you can pull on that rope and bring the bottom of your ribs closer to the top of your hips while keeping everything engaged and while moving slowly and controlledly, controlled, controlledly, controlled 
and deliberately and not flinging your legs and your upper body and your head around, then you're starting to use your abs and you'll feel it. You'll feel it when you do it right. If you do those exercises and you feel nothing, it's because you're doing it wrong. So you will feel it. They're not the hardest exercises in the world, but they're just very deliberate. And so try and do that. Reach out to me if you have questions and I can like give you some more individual pointers on those things and maybe send you some videos or whatnot. Or, you know, just hire me to be your coach and we can definitely go through all that <laughs> because we do anyways, because we got to learn how to use our abs. So to answer that whole question, how often should you train abs? You can train them every time you work out, but it's probably not necessary. Probably two to four exercises a week is plenty if you're doing them right. That That's probably a better way to put it. Two to four exercises per week is good. And it can be every day, every day that you work out, or you can do like, you know, two on your day one and two on your day three or whatever. Um, but you certainly do not need to be doing like hundreds of crunches and tons of ab exercises. And you definitely don't need a whole day of abs. That is absolutely crazy. So yeah, how often should you train abs? Two to four exercises a week. If your lower belly hangs down, it's probably because your glutes are way too strong compared to your abs. And you've really got to focus on strengthening your abs. And again, strengthening your abs comes from actually strengthening your abs using the same principles of strength training that you use to build up your glutes so strong. Apply that to your abs and then you'll start to, your lower belly will start to flatten out as your hips level out instead of being so arched backwards. So hopefully that helps. Uh, there's kind of a lot in that one. Sorry, I thought that was going to be a quicker <laughs> a quicker answer, um, but it, it, an important one to deal with. So because we're all obsessed, it is summer and we're all obsessed with training our abs and I get these kind of questions about ab training and I need more core and I need more of this and I need more of that every single day. And the fact of the matter is you probably don't. You probably just need to eat a little bit less, walk a little bit more, do more squats, do more big compound movements, change your exercise routine to make it make sense, do less core work, do more focused core work, and get better workouts with the rest of the stuff that you're doing. So with that being said, obviously, I can put that all together for you uh, in, in online coaching fashion or in person if you live here in the GTA in Vaughn. We can set that up online, of course, open to anywhere in the world, danielyours.com click on the coaching page and there's a, if you scroll to the bottom, you know, you can read through everything on that page, scroll to the bottom and there's like a little form with just some basic questions. Send me a little application and we can get it going from there. Get your abs right and get everything right. That's all. I think I'll, uh, I'll wrap this one up. I appreciate you. Send me more questions for the next episode. Stay tuned. Um, it'll probably be in the fall, but like, we'll see how episodes uh, episodes go. Like I, like I mentioned at the beginning of this one, the construction and stuff at the house is still probably like another week or two. So I may have to sneak in a couple other solo episodes just because it's been hard to promise guests like a time. And then it's like, oh shit, there's construction. So, you know, we'll cancel. I don't want to waste people's time. So there may be a string of a couple solo episodes in here. So if you want me to really dig deep on something, then, um, then let me know. I obviously have no shortage of things to talk about. So I'll be fine if you don't, but if there's something you want me to get into in the next couple of weeks, there, there may be another a string of solo episodes, but I've got some really good guests lined up coming up towards the end of the summer and whatnot and in, into the fall. Um, it's just about scheduling and it's kind of on me and, and construction right now. So that's all coming. I appreciate each of you. Uh, send me messages, follow me on Instagram, share the podcast with, with all your friends and family and really help this thing grow. Please, please leave a rating and review, five-star rating and review on uh, Spotify, on iTunes, on all the places. And um, that's it. DanielYours.com for coaching and all that stuff. I appreciate you. 
Go outside, be a good person, take your shoes off, eat some real food, and uh, train hard. <laughs>